It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say all right, welcome back to the 1977 episode. Charlie, good to have you back here. It's lovely to be back. Um, some things that will be included in this episode is uh, Ian Stewart working wonders at South Melbourne, North getting into gear with new recruits down elves looking the goods, um, Hawthorne look to go back to back, and Collingwood under a new coach or a club reborn, exceeding expectations a year after claiming the wooden spoon. Yeah. Great. Do you want to remind us who we've already talked about, Charlie? Oh, I would love to. I would love to. So, uh, in 12th spot, taking out the wooden spoon, we had St Kilda. Uh, 11th spot, Melbourne. 10th was Fitzroy. 9th, Essendon. 8th, Geelong. 7th, Footscray. 6th, Carlton. Uh, well, yes, and yeah, and so that moves us up to 5th spot, our first finalist, and you just mentioned it. Mm. Ian Stewart doing wonders down at South Melbourne with 13 wins... Uh, eight losses and one draw just pushing them into that fifth spot. Uh, relegating Carlton to, to not making it as we spoke about last week. So yeah, as we said, coached by Ian Stewart and captained by Ricky Quaid. Yeah, Ricky Quaid, new captain. Yeah, um, taking over from Pete Bedford. Debutants include Wayne Evans and Paul Morewood. Round one was a big win over the D's with Teasdale kicking eight, prompting some papers to declare 1977 the year of the Swan. Ooh. Teasdale went one better uh, in round two with nine goals and a 77-point win over the Bombers, which was their biggest ever score against that team. Quaid and Goss were good around the packs. The press saying a storm warning went up over the south ground for the top sides yesterday. It read, be prepared for anything when you come down here because the Swans mean business. <laughs> the Swans whipped into a tornado have found out what, a big t- what the big time is all about. And in this game, the age named Terry Danaher is best on ground with 20 kicks, five marks and four goals. Yet, with all that hype, the Swans lost their next three. Ah! The star of their round six win over the Lions was third game player David Young. The bearded, blonde-haired, six-foot South Australian looked like he'd come off a Viking movie in Hollywood. (laughs) He kicked six goals, two for the Swans on their way to a 19-point win. Robert Dean added four goals. The following day... Sorry, then followed a draw with the Saints and a loss to the Hawks, with Ian Stewart saying about the players, Some of my players are fat cats. Fed on caviar and cream. If they lived in the Depression, they'd starve. They've let the team down and they let themselves down. I love it. That, ge- that generation gap is, yeah. <laughs> um, by mid-season, the Swans went on a... F- sorry, but mid-season, the Swans went on a four-game winning streak. Ian Stewart's masterstroke here was swapping Graham Teasdale from full forward into the ruck. Um, in round nine, they... Winning streak kicked off with a 19-point win over the Dogs at Lakeside Oval, again kicking away in the last quarter. Then a rare 26-point win over Ladderley to Collingwood at Victoria Park was next. Their seven-goal to one-third quarter putting their stamp on a 26-point win. The Round 11 game was played on a boggy Lakeside Oval. The league attempted to use a helicopter to dry the ground pre-game, but to no avail. Well, like a giant fan. Yeah, which I believe they did at the 2020 Grand Final as well. Oh, really? So it's a thing. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's a okay. Thing. <laughs> um, the Swans, however, continued to impress with a win over the 76 Grand Finalists North Melbourne. Norm Goss and Teasdale are stars here. 
In terrible conditions against the D's at Lakeside Oval in round 12, where overhead marking and handball were near impossible, Melbourne hit back on a muddy Lakeside Oval, but Laurie Fowler was denied a mark in the forward pocket. Late in the game, and South coach Ian Stewart threw his entire team into the, da- into the defence in the dying moments to hold on to a victory, which they did by a goal, despite kicking one less than the Demons. 8-22. The Swans then acquired Cats defender John Scarlett following round 13, and he was popped straight into the team for the round 14 match, which was against his ex-team Geelong. Hey! He had a quiet game, but the Swans won by seven. Uh, then ex-Dogs player Peter Morrison was the key to the Swans lifting themselves above the Cats by seven points in round 14. Round 17, they shut the Lions out of their own forward line in the first half, only allowing them one goal eight. The, Sun, the Swans 9-11... And it was really like a practice match from then on. The Swans won by ninety. The Swans won by sixty-two. Uh, Lions coach Kevin Rose claiming it to be the most disappointing performance he had been involved with in his twenty years of football. Oh mate, yeah, okay. In round eighteen, South brushed aside St Kilda's fierce physical assault to register one of its most convincing wins of the season. Robert Dean kicked six in a fifty-five point win. Then round 19, they knocked off reigning Premier Hawthorne at Waverley by 25, which saw them climb into the top five for the first time. Now, at this stage of the season, the club was investigating whether they could possibly share Moorabbin with the Saints because they were looking for a new ground, but it was actually a bit of posturing to see if they could leverage a better deal at Albert Park. Ah. Oval. In round 20, they travelled to Western Oval to play the Dogs, and the game was close for the first three quarters, but within eight minutes of the last quarter starting, ex-Bulldog Peter Morrison had turned the game and helped seal a Victory for the Swans. Gary Dempsey's five goals also helped. With further wins over Footscray and a loss to Collingwood, the Swans' chances for finals all boiled down to their round 22 match with North Melbourne at Arden Street. So taking on North, who had been in the last like four grand finals. Yep. South had to beat North and hope the Dogs could defeat Carlton. Things went well across town with the Dogs in control, but at Arden Street, the Swans fell 23 points behind leading into the last quarter. The Swans, however, dug deep and Ian Stewart played an ace up his sleeve, which was Graham Teasdale, who was rested in the forward line during the third quarter. They came out, kicked six goals to one in the final quarter and won by ten points. Swanee's back in the finals for the first time since 1970. Yeah, nice, okay. Yeah. Almost a decade out. Yeah. And to beat the, yeah, yeah. Pretty, the grand finalists and the, well, you'd say the best team in the league at the moment, even though they're not... North Melbourne? Yeah, yeah. over the last four Two years, years yeah. right? Yeah. Plus, they beat Hawthorne in round 19. So. Yeah. Not bad. Yep. Making those finals. Well done. So, the lead goal kicker down at South uh, in 77 was Graham Teasdale with 38. And the Bobby Skilton medal uh, in 1977, no surprises, went to Graham Teasdale. Had to, didn't had it? Had to, yeah. Uh, so, that takes us up to fourth spot where we had the Tigers. Uh, with 14 wins and 7 losses uh, coached by Barry Richardson taking over from Tommy Hafey and captained by Francis Burke yes some debutants include Greg Naylor and Michael Roach yes great Tasmanian yes yes so as a junior player at Westbury in Tasmania Roach won state representation uh, and he was selected to play senior footy for Longford in 75 aged only 16 uh, Richmond rushed the young Roach over to Melbourne for the 77 season after that. He was a very athletic player who was agile, a spectacular high mark and a long, accurate right foot kick, although he could also kick well with his left. Uh, he thrilled Richmond supporters with his ability to climb over packs and take high marks. Yes, very nice. Um, hey, who, who doesn't that thrill, Timmy? Tell me that. Nobody. That's who. The blind? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
they opened the season with a loss to the Lions, but round two at the MCG, they played the Hawks, who started well, but the Tigers ran on 10 goals in the second quarter to take a 34-point lead at the half. But the Hawks were not done for. They controlled most of the second half, and the Tigers trailed the Hawks by nine at the start of time on. However, the hero of the day was the ghost, Jim Jess, coming off the bench halfway through the last quarter, kicking three goals, including the winner, to see the Tigers home by a point. In round three, the Tigers stopped the uh, fairy tale start to South Melbourne's season with a much more complete game. Led by their stalwarts in Sheedy, Burke and Hart, the Tigers got the ball first, contested harder, tackled with more vigour and had match-winning ruckman Neil Baum in good form, Tigers by 12. In round five, they controlled the match against the Ds at the MCG and most of the match was incident-free. However, the, quarter, the last quarter lasted about 30 minutes and there was about 11 minutes of fighting in this quarter. 11 minutes of fighting? Yeah, or just like little clashes and niggles here and there yep. uh, involving Petura and a few other players. Um, they did get the win, however, in that game. Round six, North started the best side against the Tigers, leading by 34 points early in the second, but the ghost again, Jim Jess, was switched to full forward and with 10 minutes, the Tigers were within a goal. Jess finished the match with five and the Tigers snapped the ruse, unbeaten run by 33 points. Nice. Your, your man, the, the, the ghost, isn't he? Jim the ghost, yep. yeah. Love that. Uh, round seven, the Tigers should have beaten the Bombers, but Emmett Dunn kicked a point when he raced into an open goal. The points tied the score. The point tied the scores, and the game was a draw. Round eight against the Dogs at the MCG. Tigers coach Barry Richardson again displayed his penchant for match-winning positional changes, bringing on Neville Roberts and Bruce Monteith in the third quarter to change the flow of the game. The Dogs led by 29 at three-quarter time, but the Tigers kicked eight goals to one to win by 19. It's a big comeback. In round nine, the Tigers beat the Cats by 50 points. However, the discrepancy between free kicks was Geelong 58, Richmond 24. Really? Neil Baum and Emmett Dunn gave away seven each. KB, KB was a star in this game with six goals. I mean, no real change now. Tigers are still giving away heaps of free kicks. Yeah. <laughs> round 10, a close game between Richmond and Carlton. Saw the tight game until three-quarter time. Carlton shot to the lead with the first three goals of the last quarter, culminating in the glorious running goal by Trevor Keogh. But an equally good snapshot from Sheedy inspired Richmond and they steamrolled the Blues in the last 15 minutes to win by 20 points. Uh, they beat the Saints in round 11. They had an easy win over the Lions. Then KB led them to a win over the Swans. In round 16, it was a loss to the Demons. Royce Hart had to leave the field in what would become his last game. Oh. He had one kick up until halftime. I no, should say yeah. as well, um, Richmond sponsor had a sponsor on their jumper from round three. It was the CUB label. Hey, okay. Uh, round 18, the Tigers played their best football for the season, completely leaving the Bombers floundering on a boggy MCG. Best were Monteith, Roberts, Wood, Sheedy and Cloak, who carved up the Bombers' defence, Tigers by 46. They then had a percentage-boosting win in round 20. Tigers defence holding the Cats to just five goals for the match, while the Tigers had five players kicking three goals each in a big win. Round 21 against the Blues at the MCG. The Tigers held a slight advantage most of the game, but the Blues got to within three points with a minute or so to go. Tigers luckily held on. And the Tigers trailed the Saints by 23 in the second quarter of the last round, round 22 match, when Bartlett took a mark at centre-half forward. A moment later, his nose was broken. Players came from everywhere and a huge but short-lived melee ensued. KB kicked a goal from his free kick, and this stirred the Tigers. They kicked 14 goals to four after halftime to win by 59. KB finished with a broken nose and five goals, as did Neville Roberts, minus the broken nose. Uh, Peter Lachlan with six. 
And that was the Tigers. It sounds, um, I should, didn't mention their percentage. Their percentage was 113.7. But the wins you're describing make it sound like it should be higher than mm. that. Obviously, they had a couple of good losses there too, I yeah. imagine. Um, so, lead goal kicker down at Richmond this year uh, was KB with 55. Uh, huge yes. from him. Um, and he was also the winner of the Jack Dyer medal this year for the fifth time. Massive. Love his work. Yes, we do. Always have. Uh, so lead, that leads us up into third place on the ladder, uh, which is North Melbourne. Uh, so with 15 wins and seven losses, uh, and a percentage of 117.8. Uh, captain this year by Keith Gregg and coached by Ronald Dale Barassi. Some debutantes for you. We've got Alan Jarrett, Stephen McCann, Greg Scanlon, Phil Baker, who had been traded to Geelong in 75, is now back with the club. Mm-hmm. Jack Casson also came across from Adelaide. He'd previously played for Essendon. And Ross Glenn Denning signed on two, but he was blocked by East Perth, so he couldn't actually play for them. Oh, okay. Um, now, in 1976, John Powers, teacher, journalist, and playwright, approached North Melbourne coach Ron Barassi with a proposal to write a book detailing the inner workings of a successful Australian rules football club. The result was a book called A Season with Ron Barassi, the coach. Oh, so it actually happened? Yeah, it actually happened. So wow. uh, Very much like the Conrad Marshall books about Richmond season, he just so happened to be there in a premiership year. Yeah. And this book details everything from the very hard-working pre-season training to the grand final. I was going to say, like, I thought that was a, uh, a new phenomenon, the insider, insider at the club thing, but there you go, 77. Yeah, absolutely. Massive. Um, sponsor for North Melbourne, she was Courage. Uh, they were, uh, I think, beer, Courage Brewery. Okay. Or like a, a Courage mm-hmm. Rooster. Oh, we, yeah, we've spoken about almost like well. Lecoq Sportif sort of. Yes, a little bit. Yeah. Um, now, pre-season Stan Elves had been dumped by Melbourne. He was weighing up an offer from both Collingwood and North. Don't even. He couldn't actually decide, so he flipped the coin and he chose North. Um, but, couldn't decide between Collingwood and North. Yeah, well, do you go a team that just played in the grand final or a team that just won the wooden spoon? Yeah, well, exactly. And there was a lot of upside and I think... Um, Tommy Hayfield really sold him on Collingwood, but he had also been sold on Ron Barassi and North ah, Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he chose North, but the D's blocked his clearance, saying he was a required player. This led by Ron Joseph. Sorry, led by Ron Joseph, the club took this to the VFL Appeals Board, and we'll hear more about this a little bit later. Geez, they're really just not looking after him, are they? The D's? No. Like, yeah. I can't believe it. Yeah. Terrible way to treat a former captain. Yeah. Or treat a captain. He had been captain when he got exactly. dumped. Uh, now, the round one game against Hawthorne had been marked down all pre-season. This was to be the revenge redemption game after the disappointment of the 76 flag. Yep. However, it was a disastrous start to this game. The Hawks powered to a 32-point lead early, and the Roos, although playing well, just couldn't click into gear. But then suddenly a goal to Barry Cable and the, the Roos were alive. They kicked eight goals in the second, and then in the second half they kicked away to win the whole game by ten goals. Round two, Wayne Schimmelbush played his 100th game, which was only 1,463 days after his debut, the quickest player ever to reach 100. This match, however, against Collingwood didn't go to plan. That's as... amazing. Sorry, I'm just going to go back. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All because the... they've just made finals. Every and... year. Yeah. 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 So all those finals definitely help. Um, match against Collingwood didn't go to plan as the players dominated the first half and led by 31 and took a massive rev up from Barassi the shifting of David Dench onto Phil Carmen and a big third quarter to get the Roos back in the game and they ran out nine-point winners. 
Round three, the Roos were lucky to beat a determined demon side that came within three points of a massive upset. But their last few shots at goal were inaccurate and the Roos won. In round four, they started well against the Dogs, playing great football to lead by 71 points at half time. Huh. But then in the third, instead of putting the foot down, they allowed the Dogs to kick six goals to one, which led Barassi deciding not to address his team on the ground, leaving them to take care of it themselves. They kicked four goals in the last to win by 35. Melrose was best for the Roos. Crosswell kicked five. The Dons took it right up to them in round five, led by plucky youngsters. They were two goals up at half time, but the Roos took more control in the final quarter with seven goals to win by 20. Melrose again prominent for the Roos. Their score of 18 goals, 17. 125 was their highest ever score against the Bombers to that point. They suffered their first loss of the season to the Tigers in round six, and this wasn't the only thing they lost, with Captain Keith Gregg injuring his ACL, Oof. which meant David Dench was made acting captain. The Roos had a few injuries when they tackled the Cats in round seven, but the Cats didn't hassle them at all. Stan Elves came in, finally cleared from the Demons, and he was actually a good replacement for Keith Gregg, came in at the right time. North's slick ball movement and handball run-on game was too good for the Cats. They ran out 65-point winners. John Fraser was six, Malcolm Blight and Roy Ramsey with 29 disposals each. Now, around this time, Sam Kekovic was given his marching orders. He failed to comply with the team's personal training regime, and he was eventually cleared to Collingwood. Round nine, North was lucky to beat the Lions. At quarter time in the game at Waverley against the Saints, scores were level at three goals, four apiece at quarter time. But from there on, it was all North. They kicked 14 goals to four to win by 84 points. Yeah, wow. Stephen Ick and Graham Melrose were huge for the Roos. In round 12, the Roos lost in a dramatic fashion to the Hawks, Malcolm Blight missing a shot after the siren to win the game. There were rumours following the game that the Hawks had a spy in the North ranks passing on tactical information, specifically about Keith Gregg making his return. Brassie says, if I ever find this guy, there might be a case of attempted murder. <laughs> um, and we'll talk a bit more about that game when we get to Hawthorne as well. Round 13 saw Brassie coaching the state side. So Ray Slug Jordan was in charge of the ruse and what was a loss to Collingwood. Keith Gregg, who had come back in against Hawthorne, did his knee again, which ended his, knee, his year. Oh. So he tried to come back, but he couldn't. Yep. They did enough to beat the Dogs by 17 in round 14. In round 15, they easily beat the Demons by 51. Uh, in round 17, they were all over the Tigers. Phil, Phil Baker was great. His marking in blustery conditions was strong and spectacular, and his four goals in a tightly contested match uh, saw the Roos win by three points. A mediocre North defeated the Cats by 44. Uh, they kept Carlton to their lowest score since 1968 when they defeated the Blues by 20 points at Arden Street the following week. They got over the Lions in an ugly match. Yeah. Uh, in round 21, the Saints pushed the Roos till the last quarter, and it was Malcolm Blight that inspired the team to a victory. He marked the ball late um, and needed to kick an inspirational goal. He was up on the boundary line, cried against the social club. He was a long way out, and in tricky conditions, um, the ball came off his boot, but it looked like it would be a miss. But as the ball cleared the end of the stand, the wind took it and swung it in through the goals, and they ran out with 28-point winners. Beautiful. Uh, and we know they lost their final match of the season to the Swans. Yeah. As we talked about e earlier. Uh, which Barassi was not happy about, but they had finished top three, so they get the double chance. God, that's weird, isn't it? Weird. Yeah. yeah. But yes. Yeah, no. So not a bad not a bad way to end in the end. So yeah. Stan Alves. Still, it hurts. It hurts. Anyway, uh, so the lead goal kicker at North Melbourne was Brent Crosswell with 42. It was very shared at North this year. As you want it. So he had... 40, uh, Crosswell 42, 
Brodus, 40. John Casson, 36. Phil Baker, 35. Barry Cable, 34. Schimmelbush, 26. Like, yeah, nice. There are like 10 players with 20 or more goals. Wow. Yeah, uh, which is massive. And the Sid Barker medal in 77 went to David Dench for the third time. Acting captain. Very nice. David Dench. So that takes us up to the top two. And in second spot, we have the reigning premiers Hawthorne with 17 wins, five losses and a huge percentage of 133.6. Captained by Don Scott, coached by David Parkin. Yeah, so um, David Parkin took the mantle as Hawthorne coach initially on the proviso that if John Kennedy ever came back, the job was his. Yep. Um, But yeah, John Kennedy had to take some leave to look after his son I believe and spent some more time with his family and decided to step away so it wasn't something Parkin was ever expecting he kind of just got tapped on the shoulder one night after training saying I'm going to announce you as the coach tomorrow he's done a um, he's done a check of Hughes and gone out on a premiership he has not a bad way to do things yep um, alright some debutants include Kevin Ablett another Ablett brother hey yeah. okay uh, the seeds now Peter Hudson also returned to the club oh and the seeds for this return was planted in October the previous year Hutto played in the charity match for the Hawks in a one raising money for Peter Crimmins and Kennedy had kind of say you know do you want to come play and he said yeah he was 12 kilograms over, overweight at that stage in October. So over the summer, he went from 120, 102 kilos sorry, to 89.5 kilos. Oh, wow. He went through this massive like, training regime to get himself back to fitness. That's huge. And yeah. he, was still fl- he was flying in and out every weekend. Oh, still doing that. Yeah, so was, well, he only did that once that one really, time, but yeah, now but he was doing it every week. Every week. Flying because he was still running his pub down in Tassie. Oh, my God. Um, so... Round one was the grand final re- replay against North Melbourne, we talked about. Yep. And Hutto kicked four in his return game um, at Princess Park against North. But the Hawks, as we said, would pump to the tune of 60 points despite kicking the first five goals of the match. Uh, to add insult to injury, Hudson and Don Scott were fined $250 each for wearing non-VFL-endorsed boots. Really? <laughs> yeah. uh, in round two, Hutto bagged another five as the Hawks fell to Richmond by a mere point despite nine more scoring shots. Hudson's comeback looked even better the next week when he kicked a further seven as the Hawks found some form at Geelong, downing the Cats by 55 points to begin their march back up the ladder. Around four encounter against top of the table, Carlton saw the Hawks emerge victors by 13 points in a game that was close all day. The following week, the Hawks moved up to fourth and boosted their percentage with a 56-point win over Fitzroy. And in the ongoing saga of Don Scott's non-VFL-endorsed boots, the VFL declared a draw when Scott painted the white VFL-endorsed stripes onto his boots himself. Hawthorne set a new club record score against St Kilda in round six and set a league record that still stands for the most behinds ever kicked in a match. They kicked 25 goals, 41. 191 to beat the Saints by 88 points. 41? 41 behinds. Hutto kicked seven of the goals and the score is still Hawthorne's highest against St Kilda, I believe. I might be wrong about Mm. that. A semblance of accuracy would probably have been a league record still standing today. Yeah. Uh, for the record, Hawks kicked 5-11 in the first, 5-13 in the second, 5-8 in the third, and 10-9 in the last. Kelvin Matthews, the worst defender with four goals, six. Another big win followed in round seven against Footscray with a 70-point win. Hutto was six. The Hawks then knocked up their 13th straight win over South, winning by 60 points and moving into second place behind Collingwood, who they played in round nine. It was here that the winning streak of six games came to an end as Collingwood won by 40, 34 points, despite a seven-goal last-quarter blitz by the Hawks. Hutto returned to form, kicking eight goals as the Hawks came from behind to beat the Dees by two goals in round 10. 
In round 11, he booted another eight as the Hawks destroyed the Bombers by 106 points at Princess Park on the holiday Monday. In round 12, I talked about this match before, they travelled to Arden Street for the match of the round. Due to horrendous weather, only 9,000 people turned up, but they saw the match that had everything. Um, earlier in the morning, Hawks CEO Ivan Moore's wife took a call from an anonymous informant detailing all of North's positional moves and also revealing North's plan to play their captain, Keith Gregg, as a late inclusion. It was, a, it was also Michael Tuck's 100th game. Hudson kicked two goals in the opening term but was held goalless for the remainder of the game. Jeff Ablett snagged another 21 minutes into the first quarter, but the Hawks wouldn't goal again until the third when Lee Matthews snapped one through. North weren't doing much better and only held a seven-point lead at three-quarter time, 5-9 to 4-8. Now, an Alan Martello snap over the shoulder brought the Hawks to within a point, but North answered. Both teams kicked several behinds before Matthews got on the end of a David Dench clearance and sent the ball back to the goal to put the Hawks up by a point with a minute to play, or minutes to play. Now in the final seconds, Charlie, North's Malcolm Blight charged towards goal and it took a desperate lunge from Robert Rubber O'Halloran to push him off his kick, sending the ball through for a point to level scores. However, umpire Nash signalled a free to Blight for the, in the back and offered him the chance to take his kick again. 30 metres out in the little angle, Blight accepted the offer and lined up as the siren sounded. He oh. only needed a point to draw, a goal to win. Blight's kick slewed out of bounds to hand Hawthorne a memorable one-point victory over their arch-rivals. Oh, 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 oh. Mm. wow, Blighty. Yeah, so, I mean, he's kicked that absolute pearler yep. against the Blues last year. This year, not so good. And we don't ever really talk about that, do we? <laughs> no. no. Uh, now, in round 13, the Hawks overcame second-place Richmond by 14 points at Waverley to move up to second position themselves. Carlton brought them undone the following week and Rod Curley Austin held Hudson goalless for one of the few times in his career. Round 15 of 1977 signalled Hawthorne's 1,000th match in the VFL, and the Hawks responded appropriately, equaling their highest ever score and trouncing Geelong to the tune of 107 points. The score of 28 goals, 23, 191, equaled the inaccurate 25-41 <laughs> set earlier in the season. Hutto and Henry both kicked eight, while Matthews popped in a lazy seven. The Hawks smashed bottom side Fitzroy by 56 points the next week. They took on the Saints again in round 17, and this time won by 86 points. Hutto slamming through 10 goals. The 12th time he'd kicked double figures for the Hawks, and his last. Oh. A 14-point win over Footscray followed after Hutto's third goal of the match. He was mobbed by fans, and he didn't know why. It was actually because he kicked his 700th goal. <laughs> the side dropped their following match against 6th place South Melbourne by 25 points. Their first loss to South Melbourne since 1970. Round 20 saw first place second as the Hawks took on top place Collingwood at Victoria Park and it turned out to be a classic. The Hawks kicked five goals to two in the last quarter to win by six points. Tuck, Scott and O'Halloran were stars. Um, the Hawks accounted for Melbourne by 11 and then the Bombers by 38 at Windy Hill. Uh, in the last match, Hudson booted seven goals to take him to 99 for the season. Um, now, Charlie, leading goal kicker. Can you tell me the leading goal kickers for Hawthorne? That's... that's... I would... I would love to do yeah. that. Leading goal kickers for Hawthorne. Peter Hudson at the top of that list with 110. Who was second on the list? Lee Matthews. With? 91. Yeah. So it's the only time in history that two players from one team have combined for over 200 goals in one season. Yeah. Um, and it's the first time since 1906 that one club has produced the top two leading goal kickers in a season as well. And 1906, okay. Who was that? Collingwood? Dick Lee and... Um, I don't know. Yeah, good question. Have to check. Well, it was a Carlton. Oh, yeah. Six. Might have been. It was Carlton, so it would it be like. Soapy? No, no it was before Soapy. Could it be like Mick Grace and. I'll look it up, hang on. And uh, 
Silver King. What was his name? Oh, um, Frank Kane. Frank Kane. Could it have been Frank Kane? It was Mick Grace and Frank Kane. There we go. We were right. Yeah. <laughs> For Carlton with 50 and 37. All right. And best and fairest. So they combine... Sorry, their combined goal kicking as the two leading was less than we lethal. <laughs> Huge. And the best and fairest, the Peter Crimmins medal in 1977 went to lethal for the fifth time. Indeed. Just, there's a lot of multiple best and fairest winners in this little, mm. this little period here. So that takes us up to the very top of the table. Um, and in a huge turn of events, we have the, the Pites. Collingwood, with 18 wins, 4 losses, and 130.7. From bottom to top in 12 months is pretty incredible. Uh, Captained by Max Richardson, and I would imagine at the top in no small part due to the new coach, Thomas Hafey. (laughs) I mean, this is 12th to 1st. This season, 2022, they're currently 4th. They've risen from 17th to 4th. Yeah, so So that's actually one spot better. Yeah. Yeah. all right, some debutants include Kevin Worthington, Stan Mangro, and Ricky Burham. Following the fallout of the previous year, Tommy Hafey was announced as the new coach. Uh, he is the first outsider to coach Collingwood. Ever? Yeah, ever. Yeah. Wow. Gee, so many... Richmond people would be... Some would be just... Livid? Livid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things he insisted on was a hands-off policy in terms of the committee. The team was his. And it's probably very luckily he made that clear after what happened to Wiedemann the previous yeah, season. Yep. Uh, Des Tudnam was replaced by Max Also Richardson. what happened to him at Richmond, right? Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, Des Tudnam replaced Max Richardson as captain. Their sponsor was Yakka. Ah, okay. Yeah. Our life under Hafey started well. The opening quarter of round one against the Bulldogs saw them kick seven goals, but the Dogs kicked five. The Pies got out to seven goals in the third quarter before the Dogs hit back to make the final margin 11 points, but signs were good for Collingwood. They lost to LaRouge in the second round in what was eventually Des Tudnam's last match as well. He did his knee. In round three, they had a win over Essendon. It was telling in that the Pies put Essendon to the sword in the second quarter. 12 goals three to the Bombers, three goals four. All but killing the contest. Graham Anderson with eight goals and a strong team win. Round four was the rematch that Hafey hadn't been looking forward to, mm. Collingwood-Richmond. 91,936 people turned up on Anzac Day at the MCG. Oof. This match was billed as the Pies' search for their 1,000th win. However, this was later proved to be a miscalculation. <laughs> um, the Pies led by four at quarter time, 19 at half time, and Hafey knew the Tigers would come out firing in the third. He was determined to match them and match them Collingwood did with five goals each. Then in the last, the Pies defenders put the clamps on to see the Magpies win by 26 points, win number 999. Oh. And I believe this game is also the impetus for Kevin Sheedy's Anzac Day match. The, the massive crowd. Yeah, the massive crowd, because it was on Anzac Day. He's like, well, this could be something. We could do this. And okay. That's what, he, that's what inspired him to create the to Anzac be Day thinking match about in 1995. It. Yeah. yeah. Round five against the Cats. It was win number 1,000 for Collingwood. In a high-scoring game, 33 goals were kicked between the two teams, the Pies winning by 15 points. Then against the Blues in round six at Waverley, the season was turned on its head. After a quarter, the Pies led by three points, but a quarter later, that had blown out to 40 points. This amazingly blew to 19, blew, ballooned to 99 points at three-quarter time before the Pies eventually won by 102. Carlton's biggest loss in their history. Peter Moore wow. kicked seven goals, including five in the third. 
Len Thompson prominent. Also of note was Peter McKenna playing against uh, playing for Carlton against Collingwood for the first time. Held to just three goals by Kevin Worthington. Uh, round seven, it was a lacklustre Collingwood who beat Fitzroy by 33. Against the Saints in round eight, the Pies took charge of the game after 20 minutes. They hit the front at the 25-minute mark, smashed the killer in the second, and coasted home. Peter Moore and Len Thompson, excellent Pies by 57. Now, a good test was their round nine match against the Hawks, and they jumped them early with six goals in the first, and then another six in the second, and they held a 44-point lead at halftime. Kevin Worthington held Hutto to two goals. But the star was really debutant uh, Ricky Burham from WA, I believe, who kicked five goals in his first full game. Uh, Pies won by 34 points. South knocked them off in round 10 at Victoria Park to uh, bring that winning streak to a well, winning, small winning streak to an end. Round 11, in front of an almost grand final atmosphere, the Demons jumped Collingwood in the first half. But midway through the third, the tide started to turn. The lead changed five times and were equal four more. The Demons were more wasteful in front of goal. Tony Dollard took the mark of the day, then missed from 25 metres out straight in front. The Pies got into gear and the Demons had no answer. They won by 33. Max Richardson best for the Pies. Uh, they carved up Footscray in round 12 to win by 27 points. Around this time, they gained former kangaroo Sam Kekovic, who had fallen out with Barassi, and he made his debut against his ex-team. The Pies showing their credentials in the league with a 41-point home win over the Kangaroos. Phil Carmen booted four. They beat the Tigers at Victoria Park in round 14. Collingwood players were sucked into playing the man, though, by Kevin Sheedy, which left his ex-coach, Tom Hafey, fuming. Round 15, they were lucky to beat the Bombers by 11. Uh, the next week, the Pies started behind the eight ball against the Blues at Princess Park, who shot to a 27-point lead, but they gradually regained control in the first half. The Pies' defence in Billy Pickin and Ian Cooper held the Blues' defence down, while Ronnie Rearmouth dominated the middle, and Kekovic and Moore kicked three goals one each. The Pies ended up winning by 32. A lazy win over the Lions followed. Uh, then in round 19, all the Pies needed to beat the Saints was a third-quarter burst to win by 26. But they did fade in the last. And although by this stage finals were given, some journalists started to speculate that maybe the Collie Wobbles uh, are coming back. They've done their best. In round 21, the Pies opened up a 48-point lead against the Swans in the third quarter and then coasted home. Ray Shaw and Peter Marshall were magnificent. Richardson, Manassa and Mangro were equally as important. In the final round at Waverley, the Dees took it right up to the ladder leader Magpies, but the Pies were able to stay ahead of the Demons all day. They won by 14 points, more in Shaw with four goals each, and they locked up the top spot in the ladder a year after finishing with the Spoon. That is massive. Huge. Yeah. Uh, lead goal kicker at the Woods was Peter Moore with 76 Um Special mention to uh, Len Thompson, who I've just seen this as a stat and I'm really rating this. They've got the freeze for and freeze against here yeah. for everyone. Uh, Len Thompson had 100 freeze for for the season and 102 freeze against. Oh, pretty even. Well, well ahead of the average for the league. Yeah, I, I mean, as a ruckman, I suppose that makes sense yeah. as well. Um, uh, and the Copeland Trophy went to Len Thompson for the fifth time. Coles goals. Coles goals. For 1977. Hawthorne. Hawthorne 378. Had to be. Now the Brownlow. The winner for 1977 was Graham Teasdale. Yes. Polling 59 votes to win, which remains to this day the most votes polled in a single season. Of course, we've got the, uh, the double votes. The double think. votes. Yeah. But still, we had that last year. Yeah. In 1976, Charlie, yes, we did. Yes. You're, you're 100% right. Yeah. Um, the other talking point of that night was Teasdale's brown velvet suit worn during the ceremony which gets uh, gets a run quite often if you, yeah if you haven't had a good chuckle in a while check it out and it's this great. is another win for South Melbourne because they got 
Graham Teasdale from Richmond in that trade for uh, John Petura. Yeah, that's right. Now he's gone on to win a Brownlow. Great. Coming second, Kevin Bartlett, ex-teammate. Richmond. Oh, yeah. So Teasdale of South Melbourne, 59 points. Second was KB with 45. Third was Billy Picken, rest in peace, with 41 votes. Um, so very exciting there to have Teasdale win that. All right, let's get the finals, Charlie. Yeah, let's do it. So, as always, it's, a, it's always a bit convoluted, this final system. I can't wait for it to change again. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have too much longer to this, do we? Uh, Top five? 13 years. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was like waiting for the uh, <laughs> for uh, the um, Paige McIntyre system oh, to start at yes. the end there. Yeah, that was yeah. annoying, wasn't it? Now I'm just I'm just ready for a top. What are we are waiting for? Next. Top six, yeah. yeah. Uh, so in in the finals, we have obviously the top five playing. So our first final was the elimination final between fourth and fifth spot, Richmond and South Melbourne, uh, and. Uh, Richmond came out firing in that first quarter. Well, in the lead-up to this game, Swan David Young pulled a hammy at training and was a late withdrawal. The Swans president, Craig Kimberley, owner of Just Jeans, announced that if he if the Swans beat the Tigers, he would put $30,000 towards their end-of-season trip to Hawaii. Wow. Uh, but the game ended up being quite a disappointment to Swans and their fans. Uh, the Tigers' finals experience was far superior. And although the Swans stuck with the Tigers in the first half, Trailing by only five points at halftime, it was the Tigers in the third quarter who wore the Swans down with four goals, two to the three behinds. This broke South spirit and the game was all but over. Dunn, Monteith, Edwards and Cloak all with two goals. Francis Burke best on ground. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Richmond uh, coming out winners there. 13-10-88 to South's 7-12-54, unfortunately. So taking us to the, the qualifying final between uh, third and second... We have Hawthorne versus North Melbourne uh, in front of 64,000 people at the G. Uh, and, well, yeah. Well, three minutes into this game, Peter Hudson kicked his 100th goal for the season. Hey! His fifth tonne, one more than Coventry, and the only player to do it five times at that stage. All the more incredible by the fact that he'd barely played a game in the VFL in the, the previous few years. Yeah. Like, this is just incredible. Yeah. yeah. You know, we had Ablett and, to- and Lockett who all tried to do comebacks and they just didn't work. Couldn't, yeah, but... This one imagine did. Imagine if Hutto just had, had never left. Like... If he didn't do his knee in 72... Yeah. Yeah, he would be the all-time goal kicker. Mm-hmm. Easily. Uh, now, North had no answer for the Hawks who won easily. A six-goal to one third quarter setting up a 38-point win. It was only in the third quarter the Ruth finally started to play better football, but it was all too late. Goals came from Matthew. Matthews kicked four, Hendry three, Don Scott with 25 possessions, nine marks and 32 hitouts with best of field. Following this match on Sunday's World of Sport, Verassi stunned viewers with a scathing attack on his team, describing the performance as a disgrace to the club, saying his forwards had waltzed around like a lot of prima donnas. <laughs> you can imagine it oh, as well, can't you? Like imagining him saying it, yeah. So, a big score by Hawthorne there, and very accurate, 19-11, to North's 12-15-87. So, yeah, not great. So, semi-finals, North have to back it up against uh, Richmond, uh, and Collingwood are now playing Hawthorne for a spot in the granny. Uh, so, the first game of the semis was North versus Richmond uh, in front of a pretty paltry 48,000 at VFL Park. 
The Ruse toyed with the Tigers tactically by starting the slower Ruckman Nolan on the bench with Keenan and Sutton taking ruck duties. The Tigers didn't start well as the Ruse kept them goalless in the opening quarter and spent the rest of the match kicking away from the Tigs. Cable was amazing with 17 kicks, 18 handballs, 4 marks and 1 goal 1. It kicked 5 goals and Crosswell 3. Yeah. Tigers have been eliminated. North move on. That's right. And very convincingly, they've obviously... Um, the fires got up and by, from Ron. Yeah. Uh, so that takes us to the first and second spot, Collingwood versus Hawthorne, uh, and a very tight match in front of 87,000 people at the G. Yeah, look, the Hawks started really well. They kicked six goals, five to the Magpies, four straight. So the Hawks should have absolutely been walloping them at quarter time, but weren't. They squandered their chances early um, and ended up losing by just two points. Hudson kicked four, but the Hawks made errors in the last minute that cost them the match. However, this match is best remembered for Phil Carman's strike on Michael Tuck, which cost him two weeks at the tribunal, mm. and many would argue Collingwood a premiership. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carman and Peter Moore kicked eight goals between them, Peter Hudson four for the Hawks. Uh, in a slashing final quarter, the Pies and the Hawks kicked 13 goals. Collingwood looked set for the win before late goals from Hudson and Hendry brought it back to two points. Some last-minute heroics from Ronnie Weemouth sending the Pies to the grand final. Yes. So that's right. So Collingwood are through, and now North Melbourne have to play up off against Hawthorne to find out again. who's meeting them. Yes, again after last year. Uh, so in front of 61,000 people this time, again at VFL Park, Hawthorne just couldn't really fire a shot, mate. Well, look, uh, the rivalry taking over the 70s had another bout with a spot in the grand final on the line. But yeah, like you said, North just dominated. Peter's crackers, Peter Crackers Keenan dominated the ruck early. Uh, Barry Cable, Xavier Tanner and Arnold Brightus took full advantage and helped the Roos to a great start. The margin was 16 at half time, but then the Roos kicked away with six goals to none in the third and they eventually ran out 67-point winners. In his last official VFL match, Peter Hudson managed just one to take his season tally to 110 and the Hawks' score of five goals, 15, was their lowest for the whole season. Yep. So as you just said, 5-15-45 to North's 16-16-112, meaning North are back in a grand final. Again, yeah. And Collingwood have gone from bottom of the ladder to a grand final in 12 months. Uh, Incredible. Incredible. Um, In the lead-up to this game, there was a lot of speculation, obviously. They always do this. Collingwood have played one game in a month while the Kangaroos had not had a break. Yeah. And I'll also point out that Collingwood's now the second team to do this, come from the wooden spoon to make the grand final. Mm-hmm. The other being Essendon in 1907, 1908. Yeah. Um, now, the league spared no expense in making the 1977 decider the biggest ever. They flew in Barry Crocker from London to sing The Impossible Dream. Uh, and because the game sold out on the Wednesday... Um, the VFL granted approval to Channel 7 to play the, show the game live oh. at the cost of $100,000. And it begins. And it begins. Um, so, split up that way back yes. not too far ago machine. Let's talk to them. Uh, so, David Dench. Yes. Yeah, let's catch him and see how he is after this. After game. the grand final, yeah. Welcome, David Dench, North's captain today. Thanks, lads. Uh, feeling a bit flat, but I'll give you what I can today. Of course, mate. Now, we should also acknowledge that you are acting captain. Keith Gregg has been out for most of the season. Yes, true. We could have used him out there today. Yeah, I'm sure you could have. Um, we'll keep this brief. I'm sure you want to get into your post-game recovery and start thinking about another grand final next week. 
yeah, unfortunately, or well, fortunately we do. Now, just before we talk about today's incredible game, how did you find the grand final parade on Friday? It's an interesting idea by, well, whoever's idea it was. A bit of fun, but also a bit of distraction, I suppose. Now, mate, straight into the game, you kicked the first goal of the match. Yeah, I kicked it from fullback. Incredible. Mate, you've got to be the first fullback to kick the opening goal in a grand final. Can you tell us how it happened? Well, I was following my man down the field. He was going down here, and I got in front of him and just kept running through the centre square. So overall, North Melbourne started really well, and you led by 17 at the first break. The team that starts well in a grand final usually goes on to win it. I thought we started well. Baker kicked three first quarter goals. Brassie's tactic of having him contest every centre bounce then return to the goal square really seemed to unsettle Collingwood. It did. That tactic worked very well earlier on. Now, I think most of the crowd expected the Kangaroos to just roll on and continue to dominate the second quarter, but the Pies actually hit back with two quick goals to Kink and Moore, and it was definitely game on. Well, I still think we had the majority of the play, and there are aspects in that second quarter where we did dominate, but then our kicking for goal let us down. Phil Baker missed a couple of easy shots, and Arnold Brightus, yes, Arnold was very frustrating. Now, the team could only manage six behinds in the second quarter, and the Pies only trailed by two at half. Yeah, look, our biggest opponent was ourselves. Bad kicking is bad football, or so they say. Now, we heard a few rumours about Barassi from the halftime break. How was he? He was Barassi. Never satisfied and angry. He told us we were crawling back into our shells, wanted us to fight back as hard as we could, and bemoaning our mental toughness. Did he really slam one of the players into the locker? He was human. Look, I'm not going to go into more detail, but he ordered us into the coach's room and implored us to run and attack. Just run our hearts out. So although Barras began to move things around, like shifting Crosswell onto Peter Moore, it was more of the same in the third quarter. You guys just could not kick a goal. Yeah, I think we had eight shots on goal for three points and a, and a few out on the full. Now, across the second and third quarters, you guys kicked 11 behinds while the Pies kicked 8-7 uh, and took a 27-point lead into the last break. Things didn't look good, but we hadn't trained in the January heat all those months ago to give up now. If anybody had the answer to getting us back into the game, our coach would be that man. Now, Malcolm Blight was dragged. What was the thinking behind that move? Well, early in the match, Blighty... He made a costly mistake, which resulted in a goal to the Pies. Brassy gave it to him at quarter time and banished him to the forward pocket, where he barely gave a whimper. And then he was benched. Yeah, he was. Johnny Byrne was going to come off, and that may have opened up a space for Blighty to move back into the middle. But Brass changed his mind last minute, and Blight came off, and I think uh, Billy Nettleford came on, and with Collingwood running out of path, perhaps this was an inspired choice. He was really important in our comeback. This wasn't the only move that was made in the last quarter, though. Yeah, he completely stripped the back line. Daryl Sutton was thrown forward, and I was swung into the centre-half forward. It was radical, but you've seen the results now. Now, those moves just loosened the shackles and let the team go for broke, it seemed. When the last quarter began, we trailed by 27 points. A good start in that term was vital. After the first two goals, I felt we were going to win. Then the third goal being yours, of course, David, I think most people on the ground thought the Kangaroos had it, especially when uh, Baker levelled the scores and then minutes later gave you a seven-point lead. Yeah, we probably thought that too. And perhaps that accounts for the Pies' last two scores. Maybe we relaxed a bit, a bit, little bit. The Pies started launching these forward attacks and they were able to level the scores through Twiggy Dunn. And from there, the scores didn't change. The siren rang out and players just slumped. 
uh, you guys were absolutely spent. Now, how does that feel when the siren rings? Are you disappointed? Are you frustrated? Are you exhausted? We should have won the game. I know that is a brave statement to make, but we did have six more scoring shots than Collingwood. Does this give you confidence now going into next week's replay? Yeah, I suppose. I believe we have gained from more from the draw than Collingwood. They will be feeling very let down at this minute. And what was Crackers doing after the siren there with Rene Kink? Look, that was just his frustration boiling over. That realisation that we would have come back a week later and play it all over again. It was just a terribly empty feeling. And I'm sure you'll be focused on the positives, of which there were many in that last quarter. Yeah, we will. It was a magnificent fighting comeback our players produced in that last quarter. I'm proud of them. The way the boys fought back when we looked to be down out at three-quarter time was superb. We just gave everything we had, and I think that was pretty obvious. We will win next week. Of that, I'm certain. Now, do you dwell much more on this game, or is it all about moving on to next week? We just go again. Whatever happens next Saturday, the team that wins will prove itself the greatest of all in Australian history. The pressure that comes in a grand final is unique to Australian sport, and to think two sets of players have to go through the whole thing again means the pressure is double. So recovery is now more important than ever. Exactly. The team which comes off best will be the one which survives the pressures and the build-up of a fortnight. There are a few players now under, under clouds, like Schimmelbusch with that strained groin being one. Uh, what do you reckon? Is he expecting to play next week? Yeah, I think he'll make it. He will probably have a light week on the track, but he'll be right. And yourself, David, you received a bit of a knock to the head? Yeah, it's a bit sore. I've had a few headaches, but uh, I'll be right. And we also heard um, Stan Alves has a bit of a corky. Yeah, he was complaining about something, but he, he'll pull up. Well, mate, we might leave you there and hopefully give you a call again next week. OK, fellas, let's hope it's me you're talking to. All right, so interesting having a draw there. Let's go through some of this. Yeah. We, we, uh, we boot up that phone again. Best for Collingwood were Thompson, Pickin, Magro, Wayne Richardson, Hyde, Kink, Barham. Best for North were Alves, Schimmelbush, Dench, Baker, Montgomery, Keenan, and Gary Cowton. Uh, goal kickers, Collingwood, we had more with four. Kink, two. Shaw, Barham, Anderson, done with one. For North Melbourne, we got Baker with six, Brightest, two, Sutton, one, and Brightest was, what, seven behinds. Yeah. Ridiculous. See, they, I mean, Collingwood would be going into the second game being like, we've got to shut him down, right? Yep. So, interesting. Now, we go into the rematch now, Charlie. Yep. Channel 7 pay another $100,000 for the replay. Really? Of course. Even though it doesn't have the same crowd. Nope. It hasn't been fully sold out. They, yeah. but they, they bought the tickets, I think. Channel 7 bought the remaining tickets. Oh, to, so they, so could, they could. Which I, I think they might have done for the first one as well. Yeah. But the other thing is a curtain raiser was needed because oh. they had no reserves. So oh, of course. This is really interesting. The VFL turned to the teams that finished third and fourth to come and play a scratch match. So they turned to Richmond and Hawthorne. Stop. And they offered a prize money of $12,500 to the winners and 7500 to the losers. Um, and in another twist, the Hawks risked forfeiting third place on the ladder if they lost. So they, they said it counts. So the winner of this finishes third officially. Oh. I don't think that really matters. But No. Um, this meant teams took it seriously and they each trained three times in the week in the lead-up. 
Um, Hutto flew over again. He was fit enough to come and play, and he cared mm-hmm. enough. Ended up being a clinker of a game with the Hawks winning by three points. Hutto kicked seven goals in what would be his last official game for the Hawks. Uh, and it prompted coach David Parkin to tell the age afterwards, I've waited 11 years to see if Peter Hudson can win a game off his own boot like that. <laughs> Matthews kicked three. Kelvin Moore, Peter Knights, David O'Halloran were among the best for the Hawks. Monteith kicked six for the Tigers, whose best players were Brian Wood, Merv Keane and Graham Gaunt. There you go. So the money <laughs> yeah. Yeah, made a difference. And you can see this is obviously Alan Aylett, like entertainment, let's throw some money at this and make it a show. Yeah, yeah. Just a game. So yep. All this change. Nice. Um, but anyway, let's get back to the... Back to the um, the match, so the grand final replay. Yes, so in front in front of about ten thousand less than the first the first one. The the original was one hundred eight thousand. This game was ninety eight thousand four hundred ninety one. Uh, back at the G, one week later. Yeah, let's see what happened. Mm. Um, David Dench, welcome back. Woo! Yeah, fellas, so good to hear your voice. We did it. And as North Melbourne's second Premiership captain, how does that feel, personally? Oh, I'm really proud and pleased to be able to achieve what we did today. I look around at all the great guys on our team, I'm just so proud. So can we take you back to last week, probably actually just after you spoke to us, what was the message from Barassi? Well, he gathered everyone together, the match committee, wives and girlfriends, everybody, and he was pretty upbeat. Spoke about how lucky we were to come back and get another chance at the flag. He then told us to listen to him ignore the outside voices and he even gave advice to our wives and girlfriends telling them to leave us alone leave them to me and the people at North Melbourne because we believe we know by what is necessary we will not make the mistake of today again and we will prevail and we will win Matt, he seemed pretty confident you guys could prevail today Very He said if, he, if we followed his instructions we would be premiers But you still went to some of the after match functions? We did but I had to make sure we were home by 10.30. How was training this week? Uh, Look, the preparation for the second grand final today was probably one of Brassie's best weeks at the football club. Training was pretty light on, really. We had probably 25 minutes maximum and trying to focus on keeping us mentally fit. Nothing was left to chance, but he managed and handled us in an outstanding way. So the opposite to Collingwood then? Yeah, we had the other people watching Collingwood train and they reckon Hafey ran them into the ground on the Thursday night at training. So, from all accounts, you guys seem pretty confident of winning the flag. Well, we thought we had the edge physically, but we had the mental edge as well because we had come from behind. We knew if we could get that good fluency and run-on style of footy that we played, when we played our best, we could really, really have a good game. And so for today, while Collingwood came in with a bit of a change, they brought Chris Perry in for Doug Gott, uh, the ruse came in unchanged. That's right. Brassy had faith in all of us. Yeah, and for the second week in a row, you started a grand final well. Yeah, we dominated play early on. Cabes and Xavier Tanner led the way, and down back, Ross Henshaw was the rock of Gibraltar. So a 13-point lead at quarter time. North seemed to have the upper hand, but the Pies were still very much in the game. Yeah, we started to really tighten our grip on the game from that point, and it was a really important moment when Arnold Brightus got that goal to put us further ahead. Yeah, he needed to atone for his previous week's result of zero goals, seven behinds. Yeah, well, to quote Lou Richards, he couldn't kick that badly again if he had two left feet that were all thumbs. Um, so you were out to a 36-point lead, and then the Pies crept back in with late goals to Moore and two to Dunn and another to Ricky Barham to reduce the margin to 11 points at half-time. Yeah, we had a quiet time in the last 11 minutes of the second quarter and the first 10 minutes of the third. But other than that, I thought we were on top. 
and Barassi's message at half time? Well, he knew this quarter was their big hope. So he wanted us to marshal every fibre of our force and energy for bloody North Melbourne and ourselves. He wanted the crowd to come alive because the way we would play would deserve it. And that's what you did? Well, as I said, the first 10 minutes were quite bass and that we left the pies kick a few and get within five or so points. Yeah, but from there you guys kicked five goals to two to really take a hold on the game. Yeah, it might have been more if Blighty hadn't put that sitter out on the full. Well, now speaking of Blighty, he really redeemed himself today, didn't he? Look, he was simply just sensational. He was almost cut out of the side, but the committee saved him. Or so I hear. Now the scores at the last break today saw you leading by 30, almost the opposite of the the margin in the last game. Was there any worry that the Pies would do to you what you had done to them last week? We weren't ready to relax just yet. Even with Schimmelbush got that great goal at the end, beginning of the last quarter, we still didn't want to stop. And they just kept attacking. They got, I think, within two goals. Yeah, Collingwood played really well. Really well. And they never gave up. And at this stage, Brass sent on Bill Nettlefold and his run was vital. Yeah, he was great. His run helped us lift us when others were starting to get tired. And we should probably mention Phil Manassas' goal. Did you see it? I did. I can see it now. Flying along the members' wing for about 80 metres, bulking past three opponents, then booting a 50-metre goal from the angle. Has there been a better goal kicked? I doubt it. The, pie, the Pies just kept attacking. Yeah, but we held them back. And, bro, and when Brightest kicked his fifth, well, I think by then we knew it was ours. So after a 27-game season, North Melbourne were premiers. Finally! It was special to get that result after such a demanding season. I'm really proud of all of my teammates. So proud of what we achieved out there. And then, there you were, collecting the cup. Every kid's ambition to play in a winning grand final and be the captain. And through the unfortunate injury to Keith, I was able to achieve that. It was a proud moment. Um, do you have any insights to share on today's best players? Well, Arnold Brightest really make up for last week with five goals. John Byrne was also great in the middle. And no one looked like they enjoyed it more than Stan Alves. And probably our best on ground last week as well. He was the happiest man on the MCG, especially after his struggle to get on our list earlier this year. I mean, he chose North Melbourne because he wanted to play finals. So today makes it all worth it. What did Barassi say in the rooms after the game? He was beaming told us that today's contest will go down as one of the greatest sporting spectacles and contests this nation has seen. He started to go on about how hard on us he is. Your thoughts on that comment? Uh, the proof is in the pudding. Look where it got us. Well, before we leave you, Denchi, um, how do you think you'll remember this win, this season? It had to be one of the gutsiest sporting performances I've seen. I know I'm biased, but the depth of character and the spirit was tremendous. We refused to knuckle under pressure, refused to be tired, refuse to let the nerves get on top of them. Well, thanks for talking to us today. My pleasure. All right, so some stats from that game. We've got Brightest really making amends with five goals. Yep. Baker three, Crosswell two, Cable Blight, Schimmelbush, Burn, um, two each. Yep. And then Ick, Tanner and Casson with one. For the Pies, Moore with five. Manasseh, three. Barham, Dunn and Gordon with two. Best for the Roos were Brightest, Tanner, Blight, Byrne, Cable, Henshaw, Ick and Montgomery. So, yeah, amazing. North Melbourne, the only team to play 27 premiership matches in a VFL-AFL season. Yeah. Uh, so with the abolition of the... 
um, grand final replays in 2016. This remains... An, will remain, will, unless... Unless they change how many how matches many are played, yeah, yeah. this will remain a record. John Casson, however, was the only player to play all 27 matches. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, huge. Um, Phil Carmens, his suspension is often blamed for Collingwood not winning the flag. It's always an excuse, isn't Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, well... That's it, exactly. Um, and it happens. And the right. other thing is, this is Ron Barassi's 10th and final premiership. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad for Not the Not his last man. grand final, but his last premiership. Premiership, yeah. 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 Um, so that brings us to the end of this hectic 1977 season. What a season it was. So in colour, first live played grand final. It's a draw. And it's a draw yeah. between two incredible teams. Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal. They couldn't have scripted it anymore. Nah, you actually couldn't. Hutto back, kicking yeah. more than 100 yeah. goals. Like, what, was, what yeah. a year. Yeah. Um, other results, we've got, we've got Richmond Reserves winning 132 to the Footscray Reserve 75. We've got Richmond under-19s winning by a bit over Fitzroy 77 to 54. We've got mm-hmm. Richmond taking home the McClellan Trophy. Yeah, okay. So let's wrap some of this up, Charlie. Yes, let's do it. Uh, the Premier... The Premier was North Melbourne. The Wooden Spooner? Wooden Spoon goes to St Kilda. Yes, it does. Um, Brownlow Medal? Brownlow Medal was to Graham Teasdale of South Melbourne. The Coleman? Peter Hudson with 105, is that right? 110. Wood. Oh, sorry, 105 for this, yes. For the, no, 99 for the season proper. Sorry. Yep, in, on Coleman rules. Yeah. Um, the, highest, the, most, the highest score was Hawthorne. Yes. 191 points, kicked twice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah because, yeah, because the ridiculously errant one. Yes. Yeah, yes. and then, yeah. Nice. Um, we've got goal of the year, Phil Manassas won in the grand final. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We've got mark of the year by Peter Knights. And I think these are all retrospectively done as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, my rookie of the year. Your rising star, my fantastic. Rising star, Jeff Raines of Richmond, just edging ahead of Paul van der Haar of Essendon and Jim Edmund of Footscray. Um, premiership lists as of 1977. We've got Collingwood with 13, Essendon 12, Melbourne 12, Carlton 11, Richmond 9, Fitzroy 8, Geelong 6, South Melbourne 3, Hawthorne 3, North Melbourne 2, Footscray 1, St Kilda 1. Um, would you like to give us a best name? I would absolutely love to. That list there. All right, so we've got... Uh Russell Tweedale, Jeff Cunningham, the Barry Norsworthy, Lorenzo Serafini, love that. Paul Vanderhaar's good. If it sounds, the flying he, Dutchman. He sounds like he should be uh, playing in the Premier League yeah. rather than over here. Philip Early, Malar- Gary Malarkey, just makes me think of Band of Brothers. Yeah. love that. Um, I'm going for, there's a few great ones here. Lorenzo Serafini. Serafini, Lorenzo. Yeah. Lorenzo Serafini. Is it named Lorenzo that's tipping that over the it's edge? Ev- it's everything about it. I feel like he should be, you know, in some sort of Italian <laughs> m- movie. Yeah, love it. Excellent. Uh, and we've got some retirees as well. We certainly do. Uh, Peter Hudson, Barry Cable, Peter McKenna. Oh, my gosh. Listen to these names. Alan Noonan, Barry, Barry Goodingham, Stuart Trott of St Kilda, Sam Kekovic of North, Royce Hart of Richmond, Norm Dare of Fitzroy, John Petura, huh? South of Richmond, Greg Park of Melbourne and Fitzroy, Cowboy Neal of St Kilda, and Desi Tudnam, Collingwood and Essendon, all finishing off in 77. God, big names. Retiring there. They are indeed. 77. 
Good year. Brassy's last flag. Great year. Well, there we go. It's another, another end to another good year. <laughs> uh, another, yeah, wow. Another draw. How long until we see another draw? Uh, 2010. Yeah. What's that? 20, 30 something years. Yeah. Huge. Years, yeah. So we're not going to see it again. No. Not a lot for a while. No, and this is a ridiculous comment. You know, the discussion around do we, do we keep draws in the season? Yes, of course, we do. Of course we bloody do. Yeah. What a ridiculous. Absolutely. Ridiculous discussion. <laughs> um, well, thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for all that. Thank you, Charles. And I hope everyone at home enjoyed listening to it. Uh, s- stick with us for uh, 1978 coming out. Coming up very shortly. Actually, our next episode is going to be a State of Origin special. Yes. Listen out for that, and then we'll get stuck into 78. Can't wait. Beautiful. Well, until next time, guys, hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.